Hello, and welcome to Mama Wisdom. Today, we are focusing on a series of birth stories. So you'll be hearing stories from real mamas, and papas, and doulas, and a whole range of people who have been present during the birth of a child. Hi, my name is Jen, and these are my birth stories. So I will start with my oldest, my son, Malcolm. He is uh, turning three soon, so it's been a while. It's funny, you really do forget. (laughs) I thought in the moment when I was having him, I won't forget this if we choose to have other children, but you do. Um, What I do remember, though, is we had a basic plan, but most of my friends had had kids somewhere five to ten years before me. So they told me, have a basic plan, but don't have your heart set on it. Uh, So I believed them. And I knew a few things. I knew I wanted my husband in the room. I knew I wanted my mother in the room. And I knew I wanted to try without an epidural and see how things went. But if I needed one, it wasn't going to be off the table. Uh, I was really, really hoping I wasn't going to need one because I've had a phobia of needles since as far back as I can remember. And uh, my husband actually had to come to every single one of my son's prenatal appointments and hold my hand while I sobbed getting all the various blood work that you get done during your pregnancy. So I knew my phobia of needles definitely uh, had not gone away. So he was an amazingly easy birth. Uh, I knew right away when I got pregnant with him, I just had a feeling. We got pregnant. He was <laughs> almost a honeymoon baby. I went off the pill thinking, oh my gosh, it's going to take me six months to a year maybe. My mom had three miscarriages and she had all these complications. So what if it takes us all this time and I'm already in my 30s? Uh, went off the pill and we joke, I got pregnant the next day. So I knew he was a boy right away. I don't know why. Um, Maybe a part of it is some of the wives' tales. I didn't get sick. I felt really energetic. And I was one of those people that if you had a miserable birth, you hated talking to me because I was so cheerful and so happy while I was pregnant with him. Um, And then he arrived. He arrived after 36 hours of labor. Um, I thought I was going to go till at least week 40. I had finished a triathlon during my first trimester with him. I was doing aerial silks up until I was 16 weeks pregnant, and I rock climbed literally until the day my water broke. And I thought, all right, I'm fit and I'm healthy, and this pregnancy is going well, and everyone says your first baby comes late. So 40 weeks, maybe 41 or 42. Uh, My boss on a Friday night going into my 38th week laughed when I said, see you next week. And she was right. Sunday night, my water broke. It was Monday morning, 5 a.m. I woke up. I thought I had to pee, got up, spilled water all over the hardwood floor. It was like out of a Hollywood movie. Everything that my uh, doctor had been telling me would not happen. So woke up my husband. He said, uh, are you sure it's not pee? (laughs) And I said, no, that's a lot of water on our floor. I'm pretty sure my water broke. And um We called the hospital. I had been tested positive with strep B, so we knew I had to go in because I had to start getting pumped with the uh, medicines that they have to give you. I can't remember what the names of them are, Um, so that the baby isn't in danger if you give a vaginal birth. 
So called the hospital. It was rush hour Monday morning. and We were going into Boston from Wilmington. So I said to the lady on the phone, I have a few things I want to do. I want to do some laundry. I want to take a shower and I've got some dishes I need to unload. Is that okay? She laughed and said, sure. So we got in the car and we got there and everything seemed fine. I wasn't dilated. I wasn't defaced. My water had just broken. So they admitted me and they just started watching me. Um, We got to probably hour 18 or so. And then the doctor started talking, you know, you only have 48 hours until your water breaks. Um, So we need to start talking about giving you pectin or something to help move this birth along. Uh, And I said, okay. So they hooked me up to a machine and I think it was the pectin that they gave me. And that's when the contractions really started coming on. And this is the part of the birth that I found to be the most memorable, I guess. I remember pacing and there were so many people coming to visit that first time. I had my mom and my dad and my sister and one of two of my best friends came over in the middle of it and I'd be talking and all of a sudden I would just stop and kind of double over like the wind had been taken out of me. Um, But I felt really strong. I felt like, okay, I'm going and I'm gonna do this the way it's gonna go. And then we got into about hour 26 and the contractions were on top of each other and I was exhausted. And I looked to my mom because I had tagged Jason out of a very long, like six hours at this point in the middle of the night. And in, with tears in my eyes, I looked at her and I said, I need the epidural. And she said, okay. And I was terrified. And what I remember is this angel, <laughs> she was like a wood fairy nymph, came in and she held my head to her head And she had the most calming, beautiful voice. This woman was born to do this job. And she said, you're going to be okay. It's going to be all right. Just breathe. Just a couple more minutes. And then the doctor behind me all of a sudden said, oh, epidural's done. And I thought, oh, my God, I did it. So I got to relax for another almost 10 hours. And I'm really glad I got that epidural at the end of the day when I think about it. Because I was dying in that last six to seven hours. Um, and I still had almost another 10 to go. Uh, the push was hilarious for the doctors, at least. I don't know. It was my first pushing, so I didn't know what was going on. Uh, but the epidural had kicked in enough that I wasn't in any pain, but I could feel things. So we were actually telling jokes and laughing for about 45 minutes of pushing. And then out came this beautiful little baby boy, uh, wide eyed and alert, um, So alert, though, he wasn't making any noises, and they immediately grabbed him, took him off. My husband was going to cut the umbilical cord, but that all of a sudden became not an option. Um, And it was probably only a few minutes, but it felt like hours watching doctors huddle over him. And finally, they gave me to him. He just had a little fluid in his lungs. He was perfectly okay. Uh, And I got to hold him for the first time. And it was pretty uneventful after that with the exception of at the very end uh well I shouldn't say it was uneventful um the birth was beautiful the 48 hours afterwards in the hospital were not uh my milk never came in and that is not something that anyone tells you is something that could ever happen uh so Malcolm was crying for the whole 48 hours he was in the hospital nurses said we had a colicky baby we didn't know how to swaddle At one point, I was trying to help him latch and having difficulty. And this was 
over 24 hours in. So I was at my wits end with why this baby wouldn't stop crying. And a nurse just came in and grabbed my breast and started hitting him across the face. And um, he started to cry. And then I started to cry. And she said, oh, like postpartum over-emotional mommy that's my cue to leave and she walked out and my husband was in the bathroom and he came out and he was like what was that I heard everything and I was just in hysterics so I would say that the aftercare was not my favorite part and then it ended with us signing our discharge papers um and the uh pediatrician doctor coming in and he said I think you guys need to sit down and that's not something you ever want to say to a woman who's just given birth, probably not if it's her first or her fifth. Um, and he said, the doctor who did the circumcision on your son uh, cut a little too much off and he's been bleeding under the bandages for the past hour. So we've called Boston Children's Hospital and we're pretty sure they're going to want to send an ambulance over and transfer him over to the NICU and get that looked at. And that's exactly what happened. A half hour later, we were following an ambulance down to Boston Children's. Um, and that's where we found out my milk wasn't coming in. He was down 17% body weight. Anything above 10%, they say, is a red flag. So Boston Children's was horrified that the other hospital we had gone to uh, was even going to release him without investigating that. Uh, so he stayed there for two days. We went home. I sobbed the entire night, barely got any sleep. I had felt like my soul had been ripped away because he was gone. Um, but the procedure went well. Yeah, they were able to piece everything back together with no future surgeries needed and everything's intact and functioning. He'll love hearing this when he's older. And, um, we got to bring him home 48 hours later, and uh, we got to start our family. So that's my first birth story. So my second birth story is about our daughter, Abigail, here, who's with me. Um, she was very different. I have had a few things happen in the past couple of years that have made me truly, truly believe that things happen for a reason. Whatever you believe in, whatever higher beings or fate or mystical anything, there's something there that I used to ignore. Um, but Abby is definitely our meant to be. Not meant to be in the way of uh, she's our second baby, but her herself, this human that she is, was supposed to complete our family. So my husband and I always knew we wanted uh, two children. And then we had our son, who we loved dearly, but he was a horrible sleeper from day one. And we had a lot of just sleep deprivation in that first year. And we had always thought we were going to start trying again when he turned one. And then we had his first birthday. And that night we were on the couch and he had just gone to bed. And I looked at my husband and I said, I don't want to go off birth control. I'm not ready. And he said, oh, thank God, <laughs> because I can't do it either. And I said, I'm not even sure I want a second kid. And he said, oh, my God, me neither. So we waffled for about six months. And then Malcolm hit this amazing lull in lack of sleep. He started sleeping through the night for the first time ever. And we started thinking, OK, let's let's have another kid. 
and this is uh, kind of horrible to admit this, but in my head, I really, really wanted a kid, but I also had two tickets to go see Hamilton. <laughs> and I knew that we could get pregnant in the next two months, or we would take a five-month hiatus, so I didn't miss Hamilton, and that we could start up again. So at that point, we said, okay, let's start trying. And boom, again, we got pregnant that month. And if we hadn't, we probably would have ended up waiting. And during that Hamilton lull, uh, Malcolm stopped sleeping through the night again. So I think we actually might have decided he would have been almost two at that point. And we would have thought, you know what, let's, we're happy with one. So anyway, I got pregnant and it was absolutely different. I thought I was pregnant and I took 11 days of negative tests and my period still wasn't coming. And I thought, okay, I'm not pregnant. I just feel pregnant-ish, I guess. Um, or maybe I'm hoping we're pregnant because I just want to be pregnant. And then on day 12, I peed on another stick and it came out positive, but very, very faint. And I thought, well, this could just be something going on with my hormones and it's barely a line. I don't think I'm pregnant. I did tell my husband that I had a line, but I said, I really don't think we are. And then uh, I missed my next period, took another peer a test and the line was still the exact same faintness. So I was like, there's no way I'm pregnant with Malcolm. It was like, boom, baby. Um, and with her, it was like, eh, maybe. So I ended up taking, uh, calling my doctor had an appointment, they did the blood work, and she called back, uh, I think, about 24 hours later, it was really soon. And she said, Yeah, congratulations, you're definitely pregnant. Uh, and shortly after that, the morning sickness hit in, I would get dizzy, nauseous, the world would go grayscale, I thought I was gonna faint, I never did. But I was always positive I was going to. And this time, I was like, Oh, I think we have a girl, which is funny, because my husband's side of the family is really not known for having girls on the men's bloodline. So I was convinced early on we were going to have two sons. So I started getting really excited. Maybe we're going to have a girl. And I started getting doubly excited because um, my father-in-law only had two sons, my husband and my brother-in-law. And he always talked about how he wanted a girl. He wanted a girl. And he said that when we had Malcolm. And he said, well, maybe the next one. So I was hoping for him and for me that we were having a girl. So at 18 weeks, we got confirmation it was a girl. And uh, my father-in-law was actually the first person we called because, um, <laughs> sorry, I'm trying not to get emotional, but a lot happened this year. Uh, he was battling cancer. And I just wanted to tell him the good news. I wanted to let him know his little girl was coming. <laughs> so I remember that phone call. I remember getting out and telling him, your little princess is going to be here in July. And he just got so excited and so happy. I could hear his smiles and his tears over the phone. So my pregnancy went on pretty normal for a while. And at this point, I was in a job that I was getting really, really frustrated with. And I'd only started at that September. And I originally thought I was going to work close to my due date like I did with Malcolm. But then I started realizing in my second trimester, uh, this was my last time being a mommy just to one little boy. Soon we were going to have this other little being that was going to change the whole family dynamic. So I thought, you know what, I'm going to take three weeks off from her due date. Even if she comes a little early, I'll at least get a week 
or two with Malcolm alone. So started planting that idea in my boss's ear and got into later, I guess, into the second trimester and was really, really hating my job. So I decided I was probably going to leave closer to five weeks. And then I had my heart set on it five weeks because that would give me maybe all five of them with Malcolm. But worst case scenario, if she came early like he did, maybe three or even four weeks of just mommy Malcolm time. So week 32, she decided to throw a wrench in all of those plans. Uh, we were heading to bed on a thir- the Thursday night before Memorial Day weekend. And I went to the bathroom. And when I got up, I looked down and there was a lot of blood in the toilet. So uh, I was about 10 p.m. I came into the bedroom and I said, uh, Jason, that's my husband, uh, we have to go to the hospital and I think I'm losing Abby. And he said, why do you say that? And I said, because there's a lot of blood in the toilet. And he said, okay. He said, uh, do we want to wake up Malcolm? And I said, no, let me call my sister really quick because uh, she lives 11 miles down the road, thank God. So she raced over here and she stayed over here while... Um, Malcolm was asleep and we rushed off to the hospital and the entire time I was in hysterics uh I can kind of backtrack actually week 14 uh my parents were down visiting and I collapsed on the couch in what I thought was a miscarriage because I had massive massive pains in my lower abdomen and my father had to almost carry me out to the car and buckle me in. Uh, That week, it turned out I had just burst some ovarian cysts. (laughs) So uh, fast forwarding again, though, we're back in the car going to the hospital. And this time, I'm really sure I've lost her. And we get there. Turns out I've just had an abruption. And it was a small one. So they keep me in the hospital for six days. And they want to keep me longer. But at that point, I had been six days away from my son and my husband, and I was just in this tiny hospital bed, and I was starting to kind of get depressed. And I called my doctor and said, I can't do this unless there's an absolute reason that you need me to be here. I need to go home. So the next morning, they let me go home. And my parents had been staying down five, three to five days a week, depending, to help watch Malcolm at this point. And uh, I made it home for one day. And then exactly a week to date, the next Thursday, it was the morning and I went to the bathroom and I went out into the living room and I said, which one of you wants to drive me to the hospital, meaning my mom or my dad. And my dad said, oh no, are you bleeding again? And I said, yeah. So they decided my dad would stay with Malcolm and my mom would drive me down to the hospital. So I got there and they said, yep, you've had another abruption. We're going to keep you over the weekend again, and we want you to go in for an ultrasound as well. So that Monday, I went up to the ultrasound, and they said a few things that scared me. Uh, One, they couldn't find the abruption, but they knew it was there, so they weren't sure if it was sitting low uh, or what was going on. Uh, They found her blood mixed with my blood, which they explained the dangers of. And to be honest, that was the least of my concerns at that point. So I'm very fuzzy on exactly what that meant and what the dangers were in that. But the thing that really concerned me was they said she wasn't growing. Uh, She was in the first percentile of what a fetus should be measuring and weighing. And 
she wasn't showing massive gains from the last time they had done an ultrasound. So they put me on moderated bed rest, which meant I couldn't hold my son. So these last weeks that I was supposed to be with him and playing with him and taking him to the park and the zoo and the beach, uh, now I couldn't even lift him up and hug him. So I stayed at the hospital for two more days and I said, I want to go home. And they said, well, if you bleed again, it's not going to be good. They said, every time you bleed more, it's a risk. We really want to just keep you here until we induce you. And we talked about inducing. They said, we would love to make it to 37 weeks uh, or for you, for me to make it to 37 weeks. Um, but if I bled again, they were just going to take her out immediately. They also said they wanted to give me an ultrasound every week. And if it looked like she really wasn't growing, they were going to pull her sooner too, because it meant something in her environment in there uh, was working against her and it wasn't going to be safe for her anymore. So I took all this in and I called my doctor very, very upset tears. And I said, I understand all these risks and I understand everything that's going on, but I want to be at home with these risks, not in the hospital with these risks. And she very, very reluctantly told me I could go home. But she said, I really, really had to adhere to my bed rest. So at this point, my parents pretty much moved in with us. They stayed with us. They came down on Sunday evenings so they could be here on Monday mornings when Jason went to work so they could take care of Malcolm. And then they left on Fridays after they dropped Malcolm off at daycare. And those next four weeks went by. I didn't have another abruption. I made it to week 37 and I was induced on June 29th. My mom was really hoping for a June 30th baby because uh, that's her birthday. And uh, we all thought she was probably going to come on July 1st because Malcolm took 36 hours. So she was probably going to take just as long in my head, at least I thought that. So the week before we were being induced, um, I talked to my husband. Uh, my father hadn't been acting right for about a month now. He had had a cough since February, but now he was getting very tired and very moody and very forgetful. And my plan was to have my mom and my husband in the room again, and my dad was going to watch Malcolm. But at this point, I didn't feel comfortable having Malcolm at home with my dad. And I told Jason, um, I'm going to be in the hospital worrying about my toddler and not focusing on giving birth to this new life. So I think we need to find a way without offending my father to have my mom stay home and just have you in the room if that's okay. And I said, if it gets too much, maybe my sister could come or my best friend. And he agreed. So we talked to my mom privately and she agreed. She didn't think my father could handle a toddler. He was just getting too sick and tired and acting strange. Um, and uh, we finagled it. We just said we'd call her when we needed her, but it took so long for Malcolm that it didn't make sense for her to come down and sleep in a hospital. She didn't need to. So that was kind of our excuse. So in on Friday morning on the 28th, uh, they tried uh, inducing me first with something that they inserted uh, vaginally. And it didn't really take. I got minor uh, labor pains and contractions, but then overnight they faded away. So in the morning around 7 a.m. they came in and I think by 8-ish they had popped something under my tongue. At 9 o'clock in the morning Jason said, I'm going to go home, say hi to Malcolm, pick up a few things that we forgot and I'll be back. Uh, he shut the door 
somewhere between eight and nine to the hospital room. And five minutes later, I felt like I was 20 something hours into labor with contractions coming on top of each other. When Jason got back an hour later after that, around 10 a.m., I was pacing the room, focusing on my breathing and doubling over in pain. And he said, remember, don't wait too long for the epidural. You like, you don't have to be brave. And I said, no, I think I'm okay. I'm okay. And then 15 minutes later, I looked at him with tears in my eyes and I said, I need the epidural. And he goes, okay, why are you, are you crying because of the pain? I said, no, I'm crying because I feel like a failure. I went 20 plus hours with our son without getting an epidural and I'm 15 minutes, maybe an hour max into contractions and I'm giving up. And he said, you're not giving up. So they hooked me up on the machines. He called the doctor and they said, yeah, your contractions hit really, really hard. They're actually coming on top of each other. So one is starting before you even peek off of the next one. Um, Made me feel a little better (laughs) about myself in the moment. So in came the epidural doctor. He was incredible. I thought he was still putting the alcohol swab on my back uh, to numb it. And he said, you're done. It's in. So a couple hours after that, they broke my water. It was probably around noon. And Jason texted my family. And my family had it in their heads, well, 36 hours after water breaking for baby number one. So probably going to be a July 1st baby. And then at 5.52 that evening, Jason announced the birth of Abigail Rose Tashiro to our family via text. Uh, We knew there was probably going to be some risks. And there were. Uh, Her lungs weren't working properly when she came out. I got to hold her for about five minutes, 10 minutes maybe. And then Jason got to hold her for a minute. And then a nurse came in and didn't like what she was seeing while Jason was holding her. So they called in the NICU specialists and they said, yep, we got to bring her down to the special care unit. So they whisked her off. Uh, And she's ended up spending eight days there. So... My job for the first 48 hours, as the nurses put it, was to work on healing myself and to start pumping. And I started pumping, remembering the days and days of my milk not coming in with Malcolm and then trying to pump for 10 days after that until I almost had a nervous breakdown and, you know, threw the pump across the room basically and said, I'm not doing this anymore. My milk's not coming in. Uh, But I was better prepared this time because I knew that that was a possibility and probably a real likelihood. So I pumped in the hospital those first two days and I pumped at home while she was in the NICU for the first six days. And then I said, this is enough. I've done this for eight days. There's nothing coming out. I'm done. She's just a formula fed baby and that's okay. And the people in the special care unit were awesome. Every time I brought in like seven drops of colostrum they were like you did it that's great and I think I brought in two milliliters of milk once and they were all like yeah that's awesome she gets this so it was a very different experience on that end um we finally got to bring Abigail home eight days later which is nothing compared to some people I have a friend who just spent 42 days waiting for her triplets to come home so in eight days Felt like forever, but in retrospect, in hindsight, uh, they flew by. Um, I fell into massive postpartum after Abigail was born. Uh, She was born on the 30th, and on July 2nd, my father went into the hospital, and uh, not the hospital, the doctors, uh, for a checkup to see what was going on. And uh, we didn't have any results yet. But talking to him that evening, I knew things probably weren't good. And then on July 12th, (laughs) 
Um, <laughs> he was, um, he was diagnosed with bile duct cancer, uh, a very rare cancer, very late in the stages. And unfortunately, he had the third type, which was also the most uncommon and untreatable. So those first two months of Abigail's life, um, we knew my father-in-law was doing his battle, but he was still healthy. He was actually working on our house, residing it. Um, We were going through what was happening with my father. Uh, We ended up spending most of that summer up in New Hampshire, where my parents live, um, just to be with him. I wanted Malcolm to have more memories of him. um, And I wanted him to meet Abby (laughs) and spend time with her. Um, and then we lost him on September 1st and my postpartum was horrible (laughs) Uh, the two months leading up to his death and probably the month or two after his death Uh, the two months leading up to his death I was angry at Abby and I was angry at myself for being angry at her. But I thought, oh, if it was just Malcolm and I, we could be there more for my mom and we could be there hanging out with my dad. But I felt really tied down to this little human that I had loved so much for nine months and now was feeling like was a burden. She was making me tired and keeping me up in the middle of the night and taking away this time I had with my dad. And then my day my father died, Uh, that resentment went away. I suddenly found all this overwhelming love, but then it was coupled with shame for the feelings that I'd been feeling for two months about her. Uh, And then I just got angry (laughs) on top of the postpartum depression. So I feel like I wasn't at my best with either of my children at this point, my my newborn baby girl or my toddler uh, for the next couple of months. Uh, Things settled down a little bit. I would say by the time she was four months, I felt like my postpartum was leaving. Um, I was finding a balance in myself. Uh, Obviously, I still miss my father every day. So there's that. But I know that the postpartum itself is gone. Um, Her story, I think, for me ends with Christmas Eve, because that's the day we lost my father-in-law. So I look at Abby's birth as I'm so glad she happened um I'm so glad both of our fathers got to meet their last grandchild at least from myself and my husband uh because we both have siblings so who knows um and I see a lot of her in them she's got the same color eyes as both of them which is incredible um and I look at the way that they helped me raise Malcolm in the early days, I guess. And I try to do those things. They were both uh, science engineer type guys. So their brains worked very differently from my artistic brain. So I do a lot of singing with Abby and Malcolm and I do a lot of dancing and goofing off and being creative and playful. But every once in a while I think, you know what, who cares if she's seven months old? It's not too early to start teaching her, uh, 
her numbers or her left from her right because those are things that they did so uh yeah we're seven months in I'm officially postpartum free still sad but uh I've got this beautiful baby girl at the end of it and I wouldn't change a thing and uh that's my second birth story if you have a story that you'd like to share please email me at mamawisdompodcast at gmail.com or you can find me on Facebook. I'm Chandra Jote Coates. Reach out to me anytime for anything.